Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Monday evening where we have the opportunity to talk the stuff of witness. This call we have to witness to our faith in season, out of season, anywhere and everywhere. Um, I am especially excited tonight for two reasons. A, we get to talk about that all-important subject matter of forgiveness which in many ways is an outgrowth of this call we have to love. So it is preeminent subject matter, but also that I get to do this with a returning guest, a guest who hails from Crescent, Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, Bob Sutton. Bob is a Catholic high school teacher and campus minister. He is a close friend of mine. So Bob, it is again great to have you with me another evening. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. So Bob, as I just spoke to it, you know, we have the opportunity really the privilege uh, this evening to talk about um, this call we have to forgive one another. But before we talk about forgiveness, we really first have to establish that to understand forgiveness, we must first understand, Bob, and take up God's love and ultimately how this love is seen in light of God's mercy. And anytime we talk about God's love, God's mercy— we must always start with the Trinity, because it is there where we come to see and better understand the nature of God's love. And what does the Trinity teach us about love? Well, in the Trinity, we have love given, love received, love shared. And so you have this communion of love, this perfect communion of love in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Love given, love received, love shared. And as our Lord reminds us in the gospel, right, that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, uh, this love is absolute. This love is unchanging. Uh, What does that mean for us? Well, uh, there isn't anything that we can do so great that is going to have God loving us more. Uh, There isn't anything so tragic that is going to have God love us any less. No, he will love us all the same. And what's more, there's nothing that we can do to add to God's love, right? This is what we mean to say when we talk about God's love as perfect, absolute, and unchanging, a love that belongs to this this communion of persons. And so this is the source we draw from. When we talk about sharing in the mystery of God, what we are talking about is sharing in this mystery of love. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Joe. You know, just speaking to that, um, Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict now, but as Holy Father, his first encyclical, of course, was on the love of God, Deus Caritas Est. He titled it after uh, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And there's such a beautiful passage in there where he says that it's Christ's death on the cross that gives us love in its most radical form, and that only by contemplating the pierced side of Christ on the cross can we really understand that scripture passage, that God is love. And as you said, it really speaks to love not just as a feeling, um, mm. but as something deeper, an, an outpouring yes. of self, a giving to the other, and that beautiful image of the blood and the water flowing out that, that even the last drop of blood in his heart was poured out for us. And of course, 
salvation history, that's the moment he seals the covenant, this mystical marriage that he gives himself to, that he will bind himself to us together. As you said, it's an unchanging love he has promised, and he will not repent of that love. But it will always be there, and what a beautiful image that uh, to understand God is love. Uh, we need to think about uh, Christ dying for us on the cross, as as First John says elsewhere in, in 316, the way that we came to know love was that he laid down his life for us. Mm. Amen. Yeah, and, and what you're speaking to there, Bob, speaks directly to mercy. You know, it's interesting, if you were to go to John Paul II's great encyclical on mercy, entitled Rich in Mercy, he says this, and I remember reading this back in the days of Franciscan University of Steubenville and being struck by it, and, and, and it has always stayed with me. He says this, the Bible tradition and the whole faith life of the people of God provide unique proof that mercy is the greatest of the attributes and perfections of God. He says that mercy is love's second name. Now, if you're to go into the Old Testament, as John Paul II does, he says there's two different modes of mercy. There's two principal Hebrew words that we find in the Old Testament that help us better understand a mercy. A mercy, Bob, that I think you just spoke too well. First, there is the word hased. What is hased? Well, if you go into the Hebrew, it speaks to this steadfast love, a blood bond of love. In effect, you spoke of the word covenant there, Bob, a covenant love, a love defined not by an exchange of things, but persons, he and me and I and him. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. So for this reason, uh, someone who has the attribute of Hased, we can say is someone you can always count on, someone who never lets you down. This love is what we might define, Bob, as a dependable love, a holy love, a love that rescues. Essentially, then, we are to see Hased, this blood bond of love, this steadfast love, as that which contains the meaning of faithfulness to oneself, to one's own promises and commitment to others. Now, John Paul II, on the heels of that, turns to this second term that we find in the Old Testament, this rahamim, a Hebrew word that speaks to God's tenderness, God's compassionate love. Uh, maybe this can be best understood as a love that springs from the innermost place of God's being, it's interesting, if you go into the root of the root word, <laughs> rahamim, it is a word that means the abdominal region. You know, when Christ was moved with pity, that Greek pity translates the Old Testament vision of mercy. If you were to go behind the Greek word, it actually speaks to the guttural region, huh? the abdominal region. Uh, and so this is why we speak to you know, rahamim as God's tenderness, God's gentle touch, because someone who has rahamim is someone who fills for your plight and is moved with compassion to help you. We are made to see that these two principal modes of mercy in the Old Testament do belong together. Uh, there's a kind of symphony when you look at these two words. And it's interesting, the word for mercy in Latin is misericordiae. Well, that speaks to sorrowful at heart. This understanding of mercy is really the glove ball fit to the Old Testament vision of mercy, because it is the movement of the heart that is shaken at the sight of the other's plight and moves to do something about it, going out of itself 
and toward the other. It is, we could say, Bob, the active love of God that wants to fill every void and darkness in the human heart with life and joy. You know, Bob, I'm also made to think about that beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning, weeping, is not reduced to the human tears, per se, as much as it is seeing another's earthly plight and grieving, grieving at the darkness that it causes. And then we run to that situation so as to alleviate the tension in that situation. That's what blessed are the mourning is is all about, grieving at man's earthly plight. And let our mourning begin with ourselves in this sense, huh, Bob? I mean, we need to look in the mirror and see what we can do about our own earthly plight, and ultimately then how this opens us up to see our brother and sister in Christ, which brings to light what mercy is all about, huh? I mean, mercy is first gift that we are called to share in, uh, the gift of baptism, and ultimately then task uh, to be agents of mercy and to enter into, Bob, the life-giving dynamism of God's love. Yeah, it's really beautiful, Joe, especially that quote, you know, as uh, mercy is love's second name. And, you know, when I teach my students, we speak about mercy, and we define it as doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. It's a, it's a simple little definition, but they often explain to them, if, if my wife makes me a sandwich, uh, that's a loving thing to do. But if she takes half of that sandwich and gives it to a homeless person, it's no longer love, it's mercy, because mm-hmm. I can get food anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas the homeless man may not be able to. And when we approach it with that definition, that it's uh, doing for the other what they cannot do for themselves, even an act like our very creation, as you said, going back to the Old Testament to the very beginning, we can't exist without God. Our own existence is an act of mercy. And we usually think of mercy strictly in terms of, you know, feeding the the corporal works, for example, or uh, forgiving others. And yet God's love is so merciful, that outpouring of himself even to create us, there's an implicit mercy in everything. That definition, I know, as a younger man, was so important for me to rethinking my, what I thought I knew about the Christian concept of God's love, because mercy, when you put it in that uh, pride of place and give it that chief spot that it really should have, it really helps us to penetrate and then shape our own love to be more like His, not only by being more loving, but explicitly by being more merciful. Amen. To see mercy as a gift is where it all begins. Um, And certainly when you talk about the beginning, uh, yeah, it is right then to go to Genesis and and, and creation. And and in many ways, this brings us back to the cross, Bob, because as Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 14, that Christ is a new Adam. In what way is he a new Adam? Well, if Adam was silent in the garden— If the tree was the instrumental cause in the loss of grace, do we have Christ crying out in the garden and taking that tree that was once the instrument to the loss of grace and now putting it on his back so it would become the instrument in the restoration of grace? Oh, the tension of paradox, as G.K. Chesterton once said. And so let us look at the cross and maybe, Bob, first, the timing of the cross, huh? Christ uses the cross as the great pulpit to teach us those things which are closest to his heart. And could we not say he is doing what we all do, huh? Saving the best for last? Isn't it not true that when a person dies, they speak to those things that are closest to uh, their heart? 
So here we have our Lord speaking to those things that, that are closest to his heart. Huh? Of course, Mary, his mother, but also this uh, deeper understanding of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So whether it is first forgiving ourselves or forgiving our fellow brother and sister in Christ, forgiveness awakens the power of Christian love and by its very nature draws us into the mystery of the cross, which is highlighted by that ancient law of sacrifice, Bob, that death equals life. And if death equals life, then forgiveness <laughs> must always include the dying of self so that the power of Christ may reign in our hearts. That's really beautiful, Joe. And, you know, as, as you were speaking, uh, the image of, of the cross as a tree, you know, it reminded me, I know we both have a shared devotion to St. Faustina, the great apostle of divine mercy in the 20th century, and the whole message of divine mercy. And she has such a beautiful quote um, that love is the flower, but mercy is the fruit, you know, speaking mm. of a tree. Um, and as I, as I share with my students, you don't plant seeds, apple seeds in the ground, because you're hoping to get apple blossoms someday. You're hoping to get apples someday. And that while love is so important and critical as a foundation, it's like the blossom. It's beautiful, and yet it needs to develop further if it's going mm -hmm. to be the gift that God wants us to have, if it's to become mercy. Mm -hmm. As she says, love is the flower, mercy is the fruit. And when we use that analogy even further and compare that tree to the cross, what do we find the fruit of the cross except forgiveness? Mm -hmm. That deep shared gift, as we said, you know, if we define mercy as that doing for others what they can't do for themselves, how perfect a definition is that for forgiveness, mm. where it becomes a pure gift, even when undeserved, unmerited, even when unasked for, that Christ shares it freely from the cross, even upon those who are not asking for the forgiveness. Yeah. We're not seeing the sin in what they do, and yet he pours himself out, pours that gift out from that same wonderful tree. Yeah, Bob, you know what's so interesting? <laughs> As you're talking there, I'm struck by this. So often we forgive the other person because that other person has first apologized for their wrongdoing towards us. And okay, justifiably so, I get that. But the Christian vocation to forgive says, I forgive you because love demands it. I forgive you because I know that by forgiving you, I share in the mystery of the cross. And in that mystery, I discover new life. Huh? Fascinating. We enter into that aforementioned dynamism of Christ's absolute love, that we do not allow another person's weaknesses to dictate how we love. No, we forgive because, again, when Christ lives in us, it just naturally bursts forth. I forgive you because you know not what you do. That's what we say. Now, that being said, we must always remember that we can never expect forgiveness. You know, in many cases of forgiveness, the heart needs time to heal before the person can be disposed to forgive the offender. Yes, forgiveness, as we just established, is a mandatum of Christianity, but we cannot expect. I often find myself in circles where the process of forgiveness and reconciliation has been stalled because of the brashness that sometimes comes with expectation. I mean, if we are the individual who has wronged someone, we must pray 
that God work on the heart of the one who has been hurt and let God put the broken pieces back together. If we let our expectations get in the way, it will only wreak more havoc. God came into this world as the divine physician, and as such, we must allow him to perform divine surgery. Expectation leads to disappointment, and disappointment breeds resentment. We must learn the language of the cross and embrace it. By way of footnote, and we should never forget this, we use the word excruciating. What does that word mean? Well, excruces, right, from the cross. So what is excruciating is from the cross. And, and we can never say, Bob, well, no one understands because our Lord went through the most abhorrent death in human history, okay? And for that reason, no one can say to him, you don't understand because he understands. And so when we go through something excruciating, especially especially when it concerns a broken relationship, we must learn from the cross, look upon the cross. And as you spoke to Benedict XVI earlier, you know, we must fix ourselves on the cross if we're going to better understand mercy. So yes, then let it begin. Let us divest ourselves of all of our expectation and enter into the beauty of the cross and how we are called to love, how we are called to forgive. Um, which is not always caught up in, in an apology, but always caught up in, in love. That's so true, Joe. And, you know, uh, that takes me to a, another aspect there, which, of course, is rooted directly to the cross, and that's the relationship between forgiveness and uh, freedom. You know, the biblical language, especially the New Testament, especially St. Paul, you know, that we have been set free from our sins, not just forgiven, but that we were slaves who have been set free, that we are people who were bound, who are set loose, and of course, you know, Jesus in, in John chapter 20 comes to the apostles and gives them that power to bind and loose, the sacramental confession, um, that we don't want to take away from that primary meaning. And yet, there's also a spiritual way of reading that as to the nature of forgiveness, not just the institution of the, the sacramental ministry of reconciliation, but that we have the power to bind and loose in forgiveness. That, you know, uh, I've seen it said that, you know, failing to forgive means making someone else a prisoner to your memory, <laughs> as yeah. well as making yourself a prisoner to your memory. You are no longer free to, the, to love them in the future, because when you see their face, when you hear their name, immediately you go back to that hurt and hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And those are the glasses you put on every time you look at them, is through the lens of how they have hurt you, how they have betrayed you, in big ways or small. And you keep them a prisoner, you know, and <laughs> I've certainly been there where you share something negative about that person. You can't hear something good without immediately throwing something bad, you immediately try to tear it down. Um, and as John Vianney says, you know, that's, that's what the devil did <laughs> through his yeah. envy. Death entered the world. We are showing ourselves as his children in those cases. Whereas, as a positive, when we forgive, when we see forgiveness as flowing from the heart of the cross, we see that biblical notion of forgiveness meaning to set free, to liberate. That when we forgive as an act of pure love, of unmerited gift, uh, it, it has this power to loose for people, mm. Mm. as well as ourselves, to set ourselves free. You know, as, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, someone presses you into service for one mile, go with them for two. <laughs> not mm. to pretend that you're not being forced, but rather to liberate yourself, mm. to show that your freedom may be curtailed, but you still possess that freedom. It's so important for us to forgive, not only for the sake of those who are forgiving, 
but as you said, for ourselves, to set ourselves free to love as Christ desires us to, as he did. Amen to that, Bob. Uh, Beautifully said. You know, as you were talking there, I could not help but think of the word resolution. What is resolution? Where does it come from? Well, let us think about the sacrament of confession you were just talking about, huh? I mean, resolution is part of our act of contrition. In our act of contrition, we express sorrow for our sin, and at once, that resolve to change our ways, huh? Well, the word resolution comes from Latin resolutio, which speaks to a simplification of things and also to loosen, huh? Uh, It speaks directly to the freedom that you're talking about, because often what gets in the way of our being in relationship with God is our brokenness, which is a direct reflection of the absence of forgiveness. Very important, and I'm I'm glad that the Holy Spirit has brought this up here, Bob. <laughs> Not something we talked about mm-hmm. initially, but but uh, I'm grateful for that. And as you were talking there too about just you know forgiveness, and you know when we're in contact with one another, I've always felt that you know we say I have forgiven this person or I have forgiven that person, and then when we are in their presence, we are bound, uh, imprisoned, as you just spoke to. Forgiveness is existential. You know when you have forgiven someone, because if you are in their presence, you are free. You are free to love them as God calls you to love them. As we're talking here, Bob, I'm made to think of something else. If we have been hurt, there is a tendency to slip into this mindset of, well, no one can tell me what I can or cannot think, can or cannot say, can or cannot do, because they don't understand me. They don't know what I'm going through. The hurt, the pain runs so deep that we create this wall, this almost defense mechanism that in turn empowers us, or at least we think it does, to then judge anything and anyone around us. And I think this speaks to your imprisonment, uh, Bob, because ultimately, then, we are not free to enter into, first and foremost, what God desires. And what God desires is to transform our hearts so that we might be open and disposed to truly be free and ultimately forgive the person who has uh, hurt us uh, to the core. Something to be thinking about. I, I often turn my attention, Bob, to the parable of the prodigal son, when reflecting upon expectation, forgiveness, everything that we're talking about this evening. In the parable of the prodigal son, we have, what, three main characters. In the father, we have someone who stands as the figure who what? But forgives, representing the sentiment of all fathers and all people willing to forgive, saying, I love. What do we have in the younger son? The younger son stands as the figure who repents, representing the sentiment of a contrite heart saying, I sin. And then we have the elder son, who stands as the figure who expects, representing that popular sentiment, I deserve. So in the eldest son, we have the portrait of your St. John Vianney envy and entitlement, huh? He puts expectation at the heart of what he does which ultimately leads to the aforementioned disappointment and resentment, succumbing to the disease of of rights and privileges. And what does this lead to, Bob? Selfishness, and as the story reveals, no longer seeing his brother as a brother. I mean, consider 
his words to the father, this son of yours. A man without gratitude, Bob, is a man without the disposition to forgive. And to acquire that disposition is what rests at the heart of our faith when it comes to loving and forgiving. Speaking of the brothers, as a flip image to that, the prodigal son, there's a a saint among the desert fathers called St. Moses the Ethiopian, and he was a notorious thief and murderer and uh, ended up hiding out from a posse uh, once upon a time with the desert monks, you know, back in the old austerity to desert monk uh, monastic tradition. And he was so impressed with their life and so touched by the gospel they preached that he not only remained there, but became one of them. And after many years overcoming, <laughs> you know, his past and all the sins he laid before the Lord, um, he became a model of the monks, eventually became superior. Uh, prior to the point where he was superior, however, they convened a meeting. One of the younger uh, monks who had come out to join them had broken one of the laws of the community, and they were meeting in the chapel to decide what his punishment would be. And Moses uh, came with this basket of sand uh, on his back, and he had poked a hole in the bottom, and he walked with great procession right up the main aisle of the chapel and sat down. And, of course, the brother said, Moses, what are you doing? And he says, well, this is my sins. The Lord has put them behind me, and I can no longer see them. Mm. And yet, Mm. all those sins that were forgiven me (laughs) up to murder, you're asking me to come and judge my brother Mm. for such a small violation. And it shows that degree of liberation, you know, that he went from a man of great selfishness, of great evil. When we forgive, when we forgive truly as Christ desires it, where it is an encounter with him, a union with his love, a liberation of our own love, set free to love others, we truly do bring it back to that, as we said at the, at the top of the program, that witness. Because what they see is someone profoundly touched by Christ, profoundly in union with him, if we are able to forgive at that level. His awareness of his, the depth of what he had been forgiven is what set him free, and in turn then the community immediately <laughs> realized their sin and forgave the brother quickly. They were not harsh with him, and it showed that de- deep liberation. And that's where it becomes a witness when it's not intending to witness, mm-hmm. but rather it's an expression of that pure gift that we have been given, and we are simply sharing with others on his behalf. Amen, Bob. That is a beautiful uh, flip story, if you will, uh, and really highlights, of course, the, the paradox of our faith and how God works in, in so many unexpected ways. Has church history not brought about one unexpected conversion after another? Huh? Um, you know, and I'm really also grateful that you brought up the word witness again to understand that this is just something that naturally bursts forth when you're drawing from God's love, His mercy. That is his forgiveness bursting forth. Uh, and, it, and, it, and again, it highlights this great structure of our faith in God for other. Come to know him so as to make him known. Gift task, conversion mission. Huh? We must draw from the spring that flows from the side of Christ, that sacramental spring, the baptismal waters and the blood of the Eucharist, to take in God's very property, God's very identity, God's very essence of joy. When we do that, we will understand the language of love, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen. Well, Bob, we are, I think, out of time. I am grateful for you taking uh, time out of your schedule this evening to join us 
our local audience and our audience abroad to reflect upon this all-important topic. I don't know, Bob, if you had any closing thoughts. You know, just, Joe, that, uh, as I said, you know, my own encounter with the theology of mercy, um, especially through John Paul II and, and mm-hmm. Divas and Misericordia and the writings of St. Faustina, they truly did transform my notion of what love is and what my love should look like. As I said, there's no better quote than the one I used with Faustina, that love is the, mm. the flower, but mercy is the fruit. Amen. It is a transforming reality and one we all need to enter into as his disciples. Amen. With that, we'll close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God Amen. bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.